everybody shut up podcast everybody is a critic but nobody will admit it everybody going live now everybody want it right now make the link up in the bow everybody got a new line everybody is offended give a fucking your opinion everybody got funny be- that that and not so much funny maybe fortuitous or serendipitous that we actually got you on I think this all started with the other day I, I, I messaged him I'm like I just watched this HBO doc that was so fucking good and, and we we talked for quite a while about it and uh, I mean there's so much to talk about when it comes to the Woodstock saga but like the the one thing we did talk a lot about is just that particular part of the 90s like I love music from the 60s to 70s like I like Music to me is timeless, man. All music is relevant if it speaks to you, just like you were saying. But something about that period of that early to mid-90s, man, like just everything felt like a home run, and it was all different types of music, man. Yeah, and like that's really a great way to say that. Every Everything felt like a home run. These are classic records that were coming out. Boom, 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 boom. And we got to experience it as it was new. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really thankful for that, man. I want to hear everything you have to say about it, but I'm curious, in your opinion, um, as somebody who was at Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99, do you have a view as to what happened over the course of those years, not just with the show itself, but like the vibe of the people, the audience, the music, the because you you watching that documentary, you see the acts at Woodstock '94 and how it was just even people were swimming through shit. It didn't matter; they were so fucking happy to be there and experiencing that. And then a couple of years later, you go to '99 and it's like, yeah, Limp Biscuit and Corn and all that and have their place in, in time. I'm not knocking any of that kind of music, but there definitely was a tonal shift in 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 not just music but like the way people it seemed like people felt and i'm wondering what you thought if you have a, a view as to like what maybe caused that or if you were as somebody who yeah, was there you of course know. of course i've been telling the story of woodstock 99 for years because it was like moby talks about it in the documentary like when you play venues for a living you do have this kind of sixth sense about an energy and i, I already possessed that at that time i was 19 I had already been on a major label, dropped, played hundreds of shows, if not thousands. I mean, I've been doing this professionally since I was 11 years old. I played Woodstock 94 on the main stage. I was 14 years old. It was the biggest stage ever built. Michael Lang was our manager. Like, we played at Woodstock 94 on the main stage. Um, 99, I went to... The the simplest way that I could, like, kind of articulate it is in 94 people were happy to kind of adopt the ethos of the 60s or at least what they perceived to be because in that documentary they shed some light on the 69 festival it wasn't all hunky-dory i mean right it was fucking chaos but the greater energy prevailed and that was one of love and peace and in 94 here i am 14 years old i'm backstage i'm on primus's bus asking if fucking primus is home i'm having this the time of my life Everyone was in a like a good mood. Everyone was flashing peace signs. And the crowd, backstage, front of house, doesn't everyone seemed willing and excited to adopt that energy from the sixties or what they perceived it to be. And it, it was happy. It was peace, peace, peace. Now don't get me wrong. In ninety four, the concert goers destroyed the town. I mean destroyed the town. Windows broken at the shopping center, people t- it wasn't you know, whenever you get together 400, 500,000 people, some shit's going to happen, but nothing like in 99. There was this growing kind of feeling after the Woodstock 94 festival that it was overly corporate. 
right? It was like, oh, Pepsi and fuck, you know, McDonald's and mm-hmm. get your Big Mac with a peace sign on it. You know, it's like just and, and I think in '99 it was 25 years hadn't passed. 25 years of building up the kind of lore and like what it was about. No, it was five years later and they were cashing in again. But I, I don't know why and I don't know. I think if we're going to call into question bands like Corn and Limp Bizkit, then I think we've got to call in question like the culturally music as a whole. I mean, with songs like, you know, I mean, there was like a deep misogyny oh, yeah. music from the West Coast. I mean, if I, if I just recite the lyrics from one of my favorite rappers, Corrupt, it's horrifying. You know, if she fucks me, she's got to fuck my friends. She's just a bitch. Kick her out. Fucking slut. You know, it's like, now, there was, and that, when you say it, you're missing all of the kind of playfulness of it. But, dude, it, it's a lot. I think culturally, there's a lot to call into question. I don't think it all falls on corn and Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit went up and did what Limp Biscuit did. If I was Fred Durst, well, that's not true. I might have said, hey, we take care of each other out there. Right, you know, because it can be hard. It can be brutal without being stupid, and it got stupid. And what I noticed as a concert goer, I didn't play '99. I was there in the audience. Is that it was a giant spring break party with a bunch of guys that were just cool, cooler than me. Everybody had a six pack. Everybody had sunglasses on, and it was MTV's like spring break. And no matter what age I was, you couldn't pay me to go to MTV Spring Break. Like, that's like right. my version of hell. When I die and go to hell, that's what I, where I'm at. I'm at MTV Spring Break. Spring Break, baby. And that's what it was. Gone was all of, like, the, I don't know, Woodstockness, for lack of a better term. And I don't think, you know... Dude, the, the acts were all over the place. They had Moby. They had Sheryl Crow. They had Jewel. Like, the, it wasn't just all heavy bands. And how many festivals have we had that are tons of heavy bands where it doesn't turn into that? Too many to count. Too many to name. So I just don't know the answer. I know I can only speak as to my experience in, like, the first day there. And somebody says <clears> it in that <throat> documentary, six hours in, we knew there was a problem. You could feel it. You could feel it. This was... Yeah, rage, rage, and 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 that rage I grew up in. I was a part of that. Uh, but even at 19 years old, a stupid punk kid, I knew that this was scary. I knew that this was. I remember watching Limp Biscuit and watching that many hundreds of thousands of people, and it was awesome. Don't get it twisted; it was awesome. And I, but it was like the scope of it. You could feel, man, one left turn this thing could get scary. And sure enough, the next day, it fucking did. But you could feel it all day, Sunday coming. And my friends got up. My friends were like, well, pussy. Because I was like, yeah, we have to go. We have to go. This is getting out of control. When I saw 65 shirtless, like, kind of frat dudes tucking things into a crowd of people that aren't watching, uh, they found sealed, they broke into an 18-wheeler and found sealed gallon jugs of water. And I remember this, Bob and Doug. I remember thinking, Oh shit! They're gonna give out water. Maybe those guys aren't so bad, but that's not what they did. They're on top of an eighteen-wheeler trailer, so if you can imagine, that's high up, and they're throwing as far as they can these gallon jugs of water into crowds of people walking, not looking at them. That hits the back of somebody's Ooh. neck, dude. They're dead. You could yeah. kill somebody. Not a care in the world. 
laughing, cheering. And I was like, yo, these people, this is in the afternoon. The fires and all that didn't start till later, but it was already palpable. It was there. And yeah, I made my friends leave. Luckily, everybody was tired enough. They were like, ah, fuck it, let's go. And But thank God. And as we go home, we can turn on MTV and see the fires and see that like they helicoptered out. I have nothing but like the warmest memories of Woodstock 94. What an incredible experience. And I would never speak bad about Michael Lang or his lovely daughters who like were just queens to me growing up. Like I had the biggest crushes on them. And they're, <laughs> to this day, we're friends. We're friends to this day. They're people I care about. If they ever needed me. If they're ever in trouble, I'd be there in a heartbeat. I love these women. I love them. Um, so I'm just, I'm not speaking like specifically bad about Michael Lang. I thought Michael Lang came off a lot better than his partner. In yeah, that his doc. partner Thank did you. not Holy come off well shit. at all. Oh, dude, what the fuck was that guy thinking? There was only 10 oh, rates. That's like, whoa, yeah. bro, what are you saying? It's insane to pass the blame. The yeah. fucking blame. On t- and I, I I, don't know that guy. I've never met that guy. If I did, it was I was 14 years old. I don't know that dude. Um, I just hope for his own humanity that that just came out really wrong. Because right? that sounded, I couldn't believe it. I had to rewind it, dude. I was like, what? I did like, the same thing. I did the same yeah. thing. I was like, what the fuck did he just say? Looking back on it, looking at the way they scheduled that night, they couldn't have possibly scheduled it any worse. You had Corn, then you had Limp Biscuit, who had started shit getting worse, then it went to Rage Against the Machine, then it went to Metallica. I mean, you're just amping up the anger at every fucking next level, you know what I mean? Yeah, and Limp, you know, dude, I thought Corn played on the night before. They may they have. Limp Biscuit, Rage, Metallica. Yeah, it just, was, it, I mean, dude, when Michael Lang said, like, we wanted to put on a contemporary show, like, I feel it, it was yeah, a contemporary that, that was show contemporary. Like, for that time. Perhaps the other guy, like, when he said, I didn't expect Fred Durst to start a riot. Dude, all the bad, bad shit didn't happen till the next day. Yeah. Right. Like, yes, there was bad shit going on, but the, the, the MTV didn't helicopter out Saturday night. They got out no. of there Sunday, you know, and it yeah. was like, um... Yeah, I think that guy's, dude, his whole energy has been about defending this. And I do think he's blinded by, I, you have to accept res- some responsibility and say, God, that was a long time ago. We've learned a lot since then. You know, they tried to do a Woodstock 50, and it was supposed to be huge. Tons of big bands were signed on. And then the money fell through. And I wrote Michael Lang a letter saying that I thought Coheed should be part of it. I mean, who the fuck, what other bands straight from Woodstock in this day and age have had right. the success we've had. You're gonna have a fucking Woodstock concert without us on it, and apparently yeah. he and apparently he was. So that was nice. He never <laughs> even wrote me back. But um, <laughs> Coheed is like that. People don't like Coheed. It's funny, man. I like Coheed. I, I it's not an individual thing, but as as somebody who fell in love with you guys from the beginning, and this is not you. I'm not. I'm, I don't want you to feel like I'm shitting on or anything like that. But like it, it definitely. You can shit all over it. I. I, I could, <laughs> Or less, honestly, it's, and I mean that in a good way. Like, I, it's just a different band than the one that I fell in love with. It really is, and it's not—it's not anybody's doing. That's I just always chalked it up to that's the evolution of music of when you start to gain fans and that like you're bound to try different shit. Like, it's just well, what record? Me. What records were your favorite records? I love Second Stage Turbine Blade, and I love In Keeping Secrets, but I love, and this is not me blowing you, but I genuinely love your drumming on, on Good Apollo 1. Like, Good Apollo Volume 1 may be, to me, one of the most perfect, just fucking hard-in-your-face records, dude. I love that album. Those are three completely different records. 
dude. Yeah. Second stage turbine blade. There's not a guitar solo on it. Like it's right. kind of very scene specific. You know, that's my favorite one, honestly. Second stage turbine blade is my favorite one. Um, when it all is boiled down. In keeping secrets, before it came out, I thought we just ruined everything. I was like, God, this is not good. Wow. Like, yeah, I just was so worried and I was wrong. I just I liked it. That's what scared me. I liked it. I meant not good, like the people are not gonna like this. It's too much of a left turn. And shows what I know, right? Um Good Apollo was the record where I was like, Oh, we did it. This is it. We fucking did it. This shit's about to pop off. And uh it did. And then yeah, bands change and turn and guess what? It's not always the direction I wanna go either, my friend. Being in a band, you're not really in a band, at least in my experience. It's you know, I basically I get to play the drums and play what I want sometimes. Um, but it's, I'm basically there to like, you know, get told what to do a lot. It's not like very fulfilling in any kind of way anymore. And like, you know, that's part of being in a band, not for, I mean, like as a writer and whatnot, but like that started already on Good Apollo. Like Claudio had all the songs. Now the difference being like back then, I think no one, nobody played to appease another member in the band. It was about the fans. I think for all of us, it was about wait till the fans hear this. And that's really changed. But I think, yeah, I do think there's an evolution. And I do think, somebody said this to me the other day. They were talking about the single. And they, they had some less than nice things to say about it. And they're, they work in this business. They're part of this business. And they said, dude, the fact that Claudio can even write a song like that after doing this for so long speaks to what a great talent he is. Because, dude, he has said and done a lot of shit. And the fact that he can write any, look at me, I'm weird science. I'm like, oh, I'm just done. I don't have any more. And this motherfucker keeps churning out stuff. I think that in and of itself deserves a lot of credit and a lot of respect. I think we'll see, you know. But being in a band isn't what I thought it was when I was a kid. I'll tell you that for sure. I mean, I thought it, I think we all did. I think we thought it was one thing. And it could be, but it's, in this case, it's not. And uh, even with all that said, you know, I'm a lucky son of a bitch to have a job with a band and to make a living. Like, because I know a lot of people that are really talented that don't get to make a living and you know, you can't, nothing's perfect, man. Like, when I am frustrated, I say, hey, man, you make a living playing the drums. I'm a lucky, lucky, lucky motherfucker, man. Wasn't it in second stage liner notes that you thanked your third grade teacher for saying you'd never be able to make a living at uh, drumming or something like that? Yeah, Bob, in third grade, my teacher was like, you're never going to make... I've never heard somebody fuck up a story before Christ. Best it's guest ever. Third grade. <laughs> Mrs. Tribble was like, you little... No, it was fucking 10th grade. And I don't know, dude. My guidance counsel is on Inkeeping Secrets. Hey, that right there, though. Like, that right there is a great example. On Inkeeping Secrets, the band did liner notes. We were able to have thank yous. Like, it mm. belonged to me and Travis and Mike enough to have thank yous. We haven't had thank yous on a record since. Like... It's like, you know, wow. little things like that are just some of the stuff that you get used to in, when being in a band. And I think it's like that with all professional bands. I think, like, there has to be a leader. You know, we can't have four guys in there. I mean, but I think the point is, is like, Coheed doesn't always go the direction I want either. But, like, what, what if Coheed went the direction I wanted all those years ago? We'd never have In Keeping Secrets. Right. We'd never have Good Apollo because we wouldn't have In Keeping Secrets. So I certainly, I put my trust in Claudio, you know, even if it's a direction where I'm like, I don't know about this, man. But 
I do. I have a lot of faith in him. It's so interesting to me because, like, AFI, I think, is a good comparison because AFI changes their sound literally every album. It's like Madonna changing her her look every album, if you know what I mean. And people are shitting all over the new AFI album, and I'm like, so many people are shitting on it. I'm like, dude, they're not going to sound like they did in 1999. They haven't sounded like that since 2000. Yeah, you know? that, dude, that's what I'm saying. It's like, Claudio, at the end of the day, like, we get in our battles and all this, but dude is my friend, and I respect that it has to be creatively relevant for him. And, like, as much as I wish we'd make another good Apollo, and, like, I, he just said something in an interview that really resonated with me. He said, I think bands that have been around as long as us have had the tendency to just want to please the fans. I'm guilty of that. I mm. just, I know what kind of record that I want to hear as a fan of Coheed and Cambria. And I thought we came close with Vaxxas. I did, did. I was, you know, I think, I thought Vaxxas 1 was, like, really in the in the ballpark. I mean, it was a Coheed and Cambria record. It was It was rocking. But, like, it for I can't expect the leader of the band to just do what I want all the time. So I'll right. I follow Claude pretty much anywhere. Like I mean, I guess there's an, some exceptions. Like, but I would follow him pretty much anywhere. Talk about being fulfilling. I'm talking about for people in all bands. Like it's yeah. not what you thought it was when you were a kid. Business gets involved. Any band that has any success, you are a businessman. You are part of a business that probably generates mil tens of millions of dollars. It's I, that's what I mean. It's not fulfilling in the way that you thought it was when you sat in your garage when it's just artistically fulfilling it's not the yeah, same it's a different well, I, thing I, like i remember seeing you we were on a disney property and you had to cover up the weird science lyrics on the back of cindy's shirt you remember that where it said yeah, fuck was, you and your filthy a and r that was the same day that we ran wasn't it right right but then that same night you guys weren't allowed to sell the iron fist shirts because disney didn't want goddamn on any merch that night <laughs> You know, and I'm God. like, what? I didn't. I I did not know that a venue could control what merch you sold. I had no idea it worked that way. And then they take fucking thirty percent of the money. Yeah, and I found that out later on too. I didn't realize they got a huge percentage of the merch. And people wonder why like things cost so much, and it's like we're barely breaking even, even right. though we sell fucking sixty thousand dollars worth of merchandise. It's like. Yeah, this is what I mean about being a business. And, like, I yeah. will say, Coheed and Cambria has always, you know, thought about the fans first. Like, that cruise, you know, for years they've been trying to get us to do a cruise. And we kept saying, not until we can get... I know it was still expensive, but not the numbers that people were throwing out at first. Like, we just aren't yeah. comfortable with trying to... You know, it's like if we're charging for a package. I know people complain about the prices a lot, but I think if they had a real-world idea of what, of this what it costs, costs. Like, yeah. yeah, like, Coheed's a funny band, dude. Like, a lot of people kind of don't get it. A lot of, like, you know, people in the business, people in other bands, like, they kind of scoff at it or just like they scoff at ICP or just like they scoff at whatever, name, plug in another, like, cultish band that, like, exists within this, like, cult, and, like, in a way, 30, it's a bad genre. <laughs> are they, are, are they still a band? Like that band? Really? People love that band, and they, I, I want to say it was two years ago, they had a, they have a thing called Mars Island. Picture your cruise, but they bring everyone to an island, and they just sit together and hang out and do all this shit. It's awesome. Well, at one point, you know how he, he tends to look like Jesus? <laughs> yeah. So he had everyone dressed in all white, and they started uh, trending with, yes, we are a cult, just to get more people to notice who they were. 
that's an interesting an interesting way to get it out there virally is just call yourself a fucking cult and it got retweeted millions of fucking times yeah i mean i i played with them at a place in uh it's in pennsylvania where the hell maybe allentown okay this bar but you know it holds like 1200 people this is like a sea market tour for them and this is when they were doing so maybe like 2010 when they were doing the 30 seconds to mars army and mm-hmm. wherever they'd show up and play their symbol was spray painted by fans all over the road the sides of the buildings like i'm surprised they didn't get in trouble for this shit yeah. and then when the band comes out the entire crowd i never saw anything like it stands in attention in like single file lines and i i just didn't realize like the depth of their cult cultishness and it was really quite a scene and they fucking rocked dude i just thought jared was doing his acting thing more <laughs> i haven't heard much about the band but i'm 41 and old now i don't know anything right so. it, it, it's kind of fascinating to me like i remember a couple years ago you guys got to play with primus and uh tool on uh, halloween night it was the only tool show that year yeah, and I, and I remember thinking, I wonder what that's like backstage. You know, do you meet those guys? Do you hang out with any of those guys? Do, you know, I, I just I don't know how the inner workings work with that kind of shit. Well, sometimes you do. Like uh, <laughs> sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. What I recall from that tour was, or tour that show was uh, trying to meet Tool, but like you know, they they show up five minutes before they go on stage, and I would yeah. too if I was them, dude. Like yeah, they, yeah. Listen. They're fucking tool. They're royalty. They can do whatever they want. But so that's not a knock on them. They just I didn't get a chance to, you know, Danny walked by and I was going to say something, but I got too like nervous. But um, getting to watch their show was incredible. And I feel lucky just to do that, you know. So, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to meet them. I remember you telling me how amazing Guns N' Roses was live. You're yeah, joking, I'm fucking right? with it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 You were like, it was well, one of the worst things I've ever seen. That one show was pretty bad, but like people that had seen them. It's like me, Chino, Travis, like a bunch of dudes from bands standing in the soundboard watching. And like, I don't know Chino, but like, I'm a, such a huge fan. Like, he doesn't know who I am. He's not telling that story. Like, yeah, it was Josh from Kohe. Like, he he doesn't know who I am. So, but it was cool that he's standing right there. And uh, we were watching, and a bunch of people were talking about how they just saw Guns N' Roses and how they slayed it. But like, you know, it was a festival show. And I can speak from experience playing festivals, it's hard. There's no sound check, and even if there is one, it's at 11 a.m., and you're playing at 9 p.m. It's completely different once you get people in there. Shit goes haywire on festivals all the time because there isn't a sound check. You don't get to iron out anything. Festivals are hard, and that show in particular probably wasn't the best offering from Guns N' Roses. I think they might you know, even say the same thing, but I love Guns N' Roses. I'm still happy I got to see the show, but yeah, probably wasn't their best uh best offering and that happens to us all the time so one of our uh one of our listeners and he's also a big fan of yours he wanted me to ask you a question well before you ask this question this is bob and doug so i got veto power whose question is this it's matt if matt denounces celtic pride if he says it's a shit movie like it is then we can ask his question otherwise fuck matt oh man (laughs) Just kidding, Matt. I love you, man. That's what I say, dude. Like he's one of like three people that actually listen to the show. So I know I love Matt. He knows I love Matt. <laughs> he asked, "What were the last three movies that scared you?" Sorry, this Matt. is a good question. Um, okay, so 
I'm definitely more like scareable now. Like I'm, I'm easier to scare now in my old age. It started like five years ago that like I was a little more susceptible to being frightened because I'm willing to go down the that I, I'll, I'll take that journey. Not a lot yeah. of stuff scares me. I, mean, I love horror so much. You know, I've never been scared by you know people were scared of Freddy. It was like ludicrous to me. Me too. What? Yeah. How could you ever be scared of this? Like, but like ghost movies do scare me. So I have to like paranormal shit. Paranormal activity one really did scare me. I was alone in a room and was too afraid to get up and shut it off. And I was just like really, truly frightened. And then I talked about this on Twitter, so I don't want to rehash old stuff. But right after my mom died, I was it's, it's fucked up. But I was in the middle of doing the whole paranormal activity uh, run through each night. I do, you know, I was on like part four. My mom dies. And like, I don't know. For so I get out of the shower the night she died and i re reached it's stupid but you, i think you do these things when somebody dies i don't know why i reached my hand out i'm all crying and shit and i inside i asked my mom to hold my hand i said if you're god if this is real because i don't generally i think i could probably kind of do believe in ghosts but i don't know i mean what if dude what if i felt clear as day somebody grabbed my hand it would change my life so i went right. for it nothing happened but i held my hand out for a soft like two minutes till my arm was like tired and nothing happened the next day there was this handprint on my bed which is really wild now it's become two handprints but it's a clear handprint wow a clear handprint facing the other way and i kept trying to make it happen i kept trying like, how is that there and it's just what i think it is is i drink lemon water and the condensation comes out and i think it's bleached it but at the time i was like oh shit what have i invited no, no, in no, like, no kidding, right fuck it scared, yeah. dude it scared the fuck out of me because i wow. really had this sinking feeling because my brother okay my brother's also way into horror movies into movies in general he's an artist and he watched paranormal activity and he he told me he's like you know what dude i think i'm good on movies like that something to be said for what you're inviting in when fear there's and i don't know what's real but if it could serve as like a lighthouse or a beacon to something not of this world right i already have sleep paralysis and have all kinds of fucked up shit happening so him and his friends watched paranormal his friend steven michelle him and his wife they watched it together whatever they didn't think much of it steven michelle go home and they call my brother and they're like, dude, there's two pictures in our house that have hung here for 10 years, undisturbed, never, ever fell. They've both fallen. They're on two separate walls. They've both fallen. And as my brother's on the phone, he's like, whoa, that is really weird. A picture that's hung at my brother's house for five years falls down. And he just got freaked out. Like, I tell the story right now, my hair stands up. <laughs> yeah, my no shit. My brother carries like a lot of weight with me. I, I wouldn't be the person that I am if, if Joey wasn't my brother. I, I've, I've learned so much of what makes me good is come from having Joey as a brother. I'm a musician because Joey's my brother. I'm, most of the good things I am is because Joey's my brother. So when he tells me that story, my brother is never full of shit, ever. And he was like, I'm, I'm going to take a break from those movies. I just don't know what I'm inviting in. And like, you know, I'm not overly religious. I don't know if ghosts are real, but like enough people do believe that stuff that like I don't want to be throwing up a beacon. 
Uh, that lasted about three weeks, mind you. Then I went in and did a whole other horror series, and it was good. Yeah. But it, that scared the shit out of me, dude. And I was like, that don't feel like my mom. I don't know what that's really scared me, but I think it's lemon juice. I hope it's lemon juice. I still don't know what the fuck it is, man. I tried every dude. I squirted it with bleach. Didn't do anything. Nothing made that happen. But now even you know, I stopped. I was checking it every day for a month. I, I took my hand and put it in lemon juice and did it everywhere. Nothing. I think just over time, the lemon juice and the sun coming in. I think that might sound like a bit of a stretch, but yeah, that's hey, man. <laughs> I, I, I'll believe it just because I want to believe it because I don't want it to be something else. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so, it, felt, it felt scary, though. Like, it didn't feel like, like it, my it, mom. It felt like yeah. something else to me. But I was also like those movies were effective, dude. Paranormal Activity was an effective movie. It scared I have me. I have yet to see it. Oh, it is, it's, it's on my list. It's on my list. And see... Uh, t- to me, the last movie that truly scared the shit out of me, like him, was that movie Sinister with Ethan. I think it was Ethan Hawke. I love that fucking movie. I've it's seen terrific. that. Mo- I've seen that movie one time in my life. I saw it in the daytime in my living room with the shades closed, and that movie terrified me so much that I've, I, I will ne- like in the daytime it scared the fuck out of me. It's funny you look behind me, and it's like I've had this shit for years, and it's stuff that I love, and it's stuff I'll never part. Much like your 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 collection, I'm sure. But yeah. a lot like you, I I don't watch horror movies anymore for for a few reasons. One, like I don't really see a lot of good ones being made, and, and if they are, they're like like indie, few and far in between. But yeah, for the yeah. most part, like I would rather just laugh and enjoy myself instead of trying to fear myself all the time. Like I've had my my fill of that shit. I'm good, man. Yeah, Doug, I'm kind of in the same boat now. I will always check for a good horror movie. Like if, if there's one out, people are talking about it. I'm in. I watch it. But like. I like movies. I'm not just a horror guy. Like, right. I like all movies. And Let's put it this way. My wife is gone for the week. I shan't be watching Sinister tonight. No. Right. Well, I'll scare the shit out of myself. Like, I'm, I'm susceptible to being scared. Like, I used to not be, dude. I used to not be, I don't know, able to be afraid. Like, Evil Dead 1 kind of scared me. But, mm-hmm. like, I just the whole, like, you know, child like I saw you. You know, just like it kind of scared me. Um, the other movie in my life that truly scared me was Pet Cemetery, the first one. Fuck like, yeah, dude! Zelda, Zelda is terrifying in that. Zelda movie. was terrifying. But- yeah, it was what terrified me, and it, having a kid still, it terrifies me. Like Gage, when a little kid tells you they're going to kill you and they don't understand the ramifications of what they're saying, that's terrifying to me. I'm going to play with you now, mommy. Yeah, yeah. like, fuck you, kid. Like, uh, in, yeah. uh, on in the Mouth of Madness, when that little girl's like, it's mommy's day, and today you're my mommy, and she looks up and half her jaw's ripped off and shit. I was like, nope. Yeah. I'm out. That's God, I haven't it. seen that in ages. Dude. Love oh that God. fucking movie. Which yeah, is- I've always liked it. That, um, it always reminds me of, like, From Beyond, even though they don't nothing to do with like around that time i would rent a lot of those movies um event, HP event horizon event horizon is pretty scary i mean there's movies that like tickle the fright the conjuring the first one tickled the fright bone like that's scary yeah, i would see it in the movies good, like six times well made uh, film very well made film yeah the new I conjuring i was not a fan of oh it's brutal dude fucking not brutal hey, what did they it, do yeah it was bad and i see like josh is always talking about whenever someone's talking Whenever somebody talks up a horror movie, and I remember blowing him up on Facebook and 
texts and Twitter. I'm like, watch the ritual, watch the ritual, watch the ritual. He's like, fine. You fucking people keep telling me to watch the ritual. Jesus Christ. That shit was awesome. I fucking love that movie. That was an incredible. So I watched that. We were making Vaxxus 1 when I watched it. I watched it at the house we were staying at. I made Claude and Travis watch it the next night, and everybody agreed. That was fucking awesome. That was a good move. Dude, movies that are good have to... uh, And this is kind of one of my beefs with the original Conjuring. Like, what? It can go one of two ways when they start really showing you everything. The ritual, it just got better and better. And it's like, dude, the skeletons, the chanting. What? It was fucking ill. My one beef with the Conjuring is when she's possessed... And they ha- and I get it. You got to tie it up in a nice bow, but it just went like to me, like I don't know, like third rate exorcist in a way. When she's like, arr, arr, you know, but I guess yeah. God, if I was sitting in those meetings, like, what do we do here to wrap this up? I don't know if I could have had a better idea. Um, so that's like my one beef with the conjuring. But the other reason I bring it up is I think that the ritual, as the ante gets up and you learn more and more and more, it just got better and better and better. And I thought. They really, the imagery really knocked it out of the park. Not just the big tree monster, but like the bones upstairs that are like that chanting shit was so cool. Oh man, I might watch that tonight. That's such a good uh, movie. Such I'll a end movie. up watching fucking Talladega Nights or something. God, <laughs> Still a great like, movie, man. It is yeah. a great movie. Isn't it funny how much, like, even watching a movie from just like eight years ago, you realize how much the world has changed. Like, uh, in The Hangover, when Bradley Cooper's character pulls up, the first thing he says is, paging doctor. I uh, know exactly what you're it's like, <laughs> it's like, now I'm not, like, I'm like, oh my God, what, they just said that? And I'm like, God, this movie's not that old to me, but I guess it is, like, you know, culture oh. moves fast. Look at Woodstock, 94 and 99, not that big of a difference, world of difference in just that five years. So things move fast and, like, you know, I'm all for progress. Somebody said to me, progress is glacial, but, you know, it sure feels like it could be moving fast. I think a lot of creators have this kind of not exactly sure what to make about, like, the... Listen, not saying the word it, we're adults here. I'm just not saying that word is a good thing. I don't mm-hmm. need to say it. I've said that word in the past. I'm totally willing to not say it. I think that's a good thing. But it is odd when you watch these movies that you love and they're heralded, and they say it a bunch of times. You're like, jeez, it feels weird now. It's like, oh, yeah. my God. Um, I look at that as a good thing. But, God, it's a real eye-opener for some guys that aren't 21 how fast the world can change. Right. The world has changed fast. I hope it's progress. I, I think it is. Well, look at yeah. – we were talking about – like, I'll give you two examples. Like, one, American Pie. We were we were talking about another podcast about uh, a, a certain film that I unearthed. And we were talking about that scene in the first American <laughs> Pie. Shut up, Bob. We were talking about that scene in the first – Hold on. Stop, 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 stop. He, he hasn't heard it. So – this, the the film he unearthed was his virginity being lost. Continue, Doug. I just not oh, nice. Um, Wait, you have that on film? I don't anymore. I've deleted everything. <laughs> uh, wait a second. Wait a second. You filmed yourself losing your virginity like the first time, and you filmed it. I don't have the actual act. I had fellatio. Uh, uh, basically, I had a friend of mine. I was working. Oh, God damn it, Bob. I was, fellatio? What is fellatio? Isn't that a dessert at an Italian restaurant? What is fellatio? A bee jibbers, man. A bee jibbers. How do you end up filming your first time? Like this is, the, this is the best part of the story. I was working at a movie theater. I was 
21. A guy I was in, I went to high school with who was just out of his mind fucking crazy, like in all aspects of life, drugs, music, lifestyle, was working at the movie theater as an usher. I was a projectionist. He was dating a girl behind the concession stand who was cute. And uh, he kept bringing her upstairs while I was building movies and telling me, like, you know, she really likes you, man. And I'm like, she's your girlfriend, dude. He's like, yeah, but she, like, told me, like, like she really wants to, like, be double teamed by us. And I'm like, I'm 21. I'm terrified of the thought of with one girl, let alone my friend. And, and well, over time, I, 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 I was working at a radio station part time as well. And my, my on-air handle that they monikered me with was Virgin Boy since I was like 19 working at that station. And every remote I did, I, was, I did stupid shit that humiliated me. And I, I think I got tired of that. And I decided to take him up on the offer one night. And uh, yeah, uh, so basically it, uh, he got done having... God, why am I telling this story? He got done no, having... That's great. This is great. He got done having sex with her while she blew me, and he kept looking at me periodically, like, "Dude, can I can I suck your dick? I don't want to be weird." And I'm like, "No, it's not. It's not happening." Like, it was just a really bizarre way to lose your virginity. <laughs> Very <laughs> fucking bizarre. He was into dudes too. Like, I think the heat of the moment. I think he was into the heat of the moment of just like, "We're all here. It's all love. Fuck it," you know. And well, I, I don't know, man. I've done a few threesomes in my life as a young man, and I never yeah. offered to suck the guy's dick, but. Uh, yeah. I don't know. To each their own. I didn't. I would assume that means he's somewhat into dudes, which is fine. But maybe that's why he was pushing for this so much because right. he viewed it as his opportunity to get that. I mean, you are irresistible. Just looking at you over the screen, I can see that. I mean, twenty years. It didn't even cross my mind that that's what he might have been thinking. About. <laughs> that's clearly what happened. That's right. That's what I took it. from that story. If, if, of course. I've always like I've always been thinking about this story. I was like, well, I was always very flattered, but I was just more in the moment. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to maintain being hard as it is, dude. You're throwing me off my rhythm. God, I'd have been so nervous. Like I realize now, like if I was to like ever get divorced, I think I'd just die alone. I've never like hooked up with a girl sober in my life. Like I just don't have that dude. ability. Like uh, drunk on drugs, great at it, no problem. Lots of ladies. Sober me, terrified, sweaty hands, just like nervous. Like, thank God I'm married. Thank God I'm married. Me and my wife will have been married for seven years this year. We've known each other since we were 15. And I've said this a million times on the podcast. If she were to walk in right now and be like, I'm done with you, that would be that would be it for me in dating. I just wouldn't care anymore. Yeah, we could just get a place together. It's fucking yeah, like yeah. die alone. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. Yeah, I'm just, you know. girls make me nervous, and they always did. That's why, even before drugs, dude. One time, this girl that I was already dating, my friend comes home. We're like, you know, seventeen. And he's like, "Bro, Crystal's on her way over." I just chugged a forty real quick because I couldn't possibly talk to a girl sober. What are you nuts? Because I'm a weenie and I'm nervous and I'm, you know, I think who like a lot of people call bullshit on this, but I promise you, I've never ever hooked up with a girl sober in my life like i just don't it makes me too scared and nervous and like god could you imagine like venturing into the dating world now like oh no. my god i wouldn't even know where to start or what to do sometimes i used to think like man we missed out on how easy it is with tinder and stuff but like one rejection and that's it i'm a yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm one done. rejection oh god she didn't swipe right i don't know which way you swipe it's like, <laughs> I don't either. like it would break my heart like um but no, I feel really lucky. I'm actually surrounded by a lot of divorce lately. 
um, there's been a lot of like people we know getting divorced, and it makes me really feel like so lucky that me and my wife just had our seven year anniversary. We've been together for twelve or thirteen years. It's been a long time, and just you know, my, she's so ingrained in my life. Not our relationship is not perfect. It ebbs and flows like all relationships get mm-hmm. sometimes, but I do feel like awfully lucky uh, to have Tammy in my life. You know, I could not imagine my life without not just Tammy, but Maggie and my dog. Like this is my life, and like uh, it's a, it's a that that's the last thing that scared me is imagining life without them. Not to bring it full circle, right? Segment, but um, for real, like it, it you know, be right now. I was looking forward to this because I'm fucking lonely, you guys. I'm sitting in my house all alone, and I've realized I've never been home alone. I'm alone on the road. I've never been in our home alone, and it gives me an understanding of what she has to go through when I leave our home, and it is a different thing to be in our home, and she's just not here. And, oh, my God, I miss her to the point where it hurts my stomach. Like, I'm really – it's been three days, and I'm like a mess. I I can't wait for her to get home. I see you're on your grind and you into fitness Like you're one of a kind, I just can't predict it Got a burning desire for five burning bridges Everybody got a podcast Everybody is a critic But nobody will admit it Everybody going live now Everybody want it right now Click the link up in the bow